Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brand. I go by SEC Michael on Twitter. And hey, no cousin Shane on this episode. It's a Tuesday, which means Stephen Lassen, senior editor from Athlon Sports, gonna stop by, drop some knowledge on us. Some great stuff with Stephen. I mean, there's so much. We talked for over an hour, I believe, and we didn't even hit it all. <laughs> we got these bowl games, we got the transfers. We got all SEC ballots. Stephen and I each did our own SEC ballot. A lot of familiarity <laughs> a lot between the two lists. But real quick, just, just a couple things. And, man, I'm going to miss some stuff because, again, this the news is just coming at us so fast, so furious right now. Something we hit on on the last episode, Cousin Shane and I, Stetson Bennett, a Heisman finalist. Congratulations to what now, surely, the greatest walk-on player, not only in Georgia history, but arguably SEC history. If he finishes the deal, two-time national champion, he already should have a statue outside of Stanford saying, how can, how can you stop it? Uh, I don't think he'll win the Heisman. I got no problem if they give him the Heisman. But just reading between the lines, Caleb Williams... C.J. Shroud, for some reason, people more impressed with those two guys. Handed Hooker, though, not a finalist, which is truly bizarre. Also don't understand why there's a cutoff at four. I bet Handed Hooker probably finished fifth, which is probably keeping him from the Heisman ceremony. We'll talk with Steven about that. A couple news and notes other than that before we get to our interview. Keisha Butte, or Booty, he's called Booty now. LSU outstanding receiver. Didn't quite have the season he wanted. He's coming back, though, for one more ride in sights. Desire to win a national championship. Gotta love that if you're an LSU fan, if you're a Brian Kelly fan. All those that said he was a cancer in the locker room, they look pretty damn foolish right now, don't they? Anthony Richardson, Florida outstanding quarterback. Off to the NFL. Not returning to school. Interesting. Not what I would have done. I don't got millions of dollars on the line, though. So, hey, wish him the best of luck. Puts Florida in an incredibly difficult position here. Transfer portal, again, opening. Head on over to thatsecpodcast.com. We'll have every single SEC player jumping in the portal, exiting the portal. We're trying to keep up to date on all these. Arkansas was the first one to land a big-time commitment out of the transfer portal, Josh Braun, former Florida offensive lineman. Sam Pittman recruited Josh Braun to Georgia. He was actually committed to Georgia when Sam Pittman took the Arkansas job. Braun decommitted, went to Florida. Now he reconnects with Pittman in Fayetteville. Not a lot of decisions made in, in the transfer portal after one day, but my God, Alabama has had a ton of guys go in there. Arkansas, Texas A&M. I think they're leading the way right now. Haven't Run the numbers. But again, go to thatsecpodcast.com. Got a running list. Updating it as quick as possible as soon as these announcements are made. There's just so many. I just literally don't have the time to go over all of it. It, it, it makes for some boring radio. So head on over if you want to see the complete list. Let's kick it on over to our interview with Stephen Lassen talking all this madness. 
All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by friend of the show, Stephen Lassen. Of course, you know him, senior editor, Athlon Sports. Give him a follow at Athlon Stephen. And don't forget to check out his outstanding YouTube channel, All CFB365. Stephen, how you doing, my friend? Hey, my friend. It's doing well here. It is crazy busy, as you know, with the transfer portal, uh, bowl games, playoff announcement, coaching. There's not a dull moment right now in college football, but hey, it's uh, it's that time of the year. Looking forward to uh, kind of the next phase of this season, which is bowl season and, and all of the personnel stuff that goes with it. Yeah, and just as we were recording here, Stephen, we just got uh, the official word Heisman finalist. We got uh, Caleb Williams, Southern Cal, Stetson Bennett, Georgia, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State, and then uh, – but who's the who's the fourth one? Max Duggan from TCU. Okay, so yeah, quick thoughts, Stephen. You're a great person to ask. You know, you're all CFB after all, not just SEC. But uh, thoughts on that field? Maybe biggest omission? Anyone you would have added to that list? What's your thoughts? I think two SEC quarterbacks should be getting more uh, recognition for the Heisman. I don't think Hendon Hooker from Tennessee or Bryce Young from Alabama will win it at this point. Uh, but if you told me, you know, the top five players in college football, Bryce Young and Hendon Hooker are on my list. And certainly the impact of what Hendon Hooker did for Tennessee this year before he got hurt, elevating them to get to number one in the playoff rankings. And and Bryce Young has been Superman uh, for the last two years for Alabama. Just every time they needed a play, he bailed them out. So I get it. I think it's a tough vote this year. There's really not a obvious number one. I think Caleb Williams from USC is probably the front runner at this point. I am a little surprised to see Stetson Bennett. I I, I didn't think that he would get that much respect uh, from the Heisman voters. So it's good good to see the mailman make it to New York. I will say as a wild card, and, and Mike, feel free to, to disagree with me on this. I, personally, I don't think defensive players get enough love for the Heisman Trophy. And, and not because he was too busy, you know, creating havoc in the SEC championship game, but Jalen Carter from Georgia, uh, no doubt about it, one of my favorite players to watch. And and frankly, I think you know, probably one of the top five, ten just best players in college football. Yeah, no doubt about it, Stephen. I mean, he was a difference maker in the SEC championship game. He was certainly a difference maker, I would say, in the Tennessee game. I mean, time and time again, Jalen Carter made those plays that had to be made. And, and he's a critical reason why Georgia's the number one team in the country. But, man, they just – particularly interior defensive linemen, they're just – unless they got 20 sacks, for some damn reason, we can't vote for these people. The most outstanding. I don't get it. What's what's he picked up Jane Daniels and had that number one in the air? He, he got my vote. Let me just put it that way. That was his Heisman moment. You know, we talk all the time. It was a high, what's the Heisman moment for this guy? He threw a touchdown here. Well, that was Jalen Carter's uh, in the SEC championship game. You know, just I, I do think it is a it is an interesting discussion. Like, you know, it's a very quarterback driven award to teams that are normally ranked high. But how do we get guys like Will Anderson, uh, Jalen Carter more involved in this discussion? You know, Indomitian Sue is one of the few defensive linemen that I can remember who actually had a chance to to win the Heisman Trophy. I think he finished second or third the year that he was in the mix. It, it's kind of a shame because it's really the, – these guys, and it's the same thing with offensive tackles, I don't think they get enough respect just in terms of uh, value to the team and, and value to potentially making a run at the Heisman. Yeah, not unfortunately, 
Whoa. Yeah. See, he's mad about it too, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that's something we're ever going to get around, unfortunately, Steven, but sticking on that theme, I asked you all sec picks for this episode of the show. I got mine as well. I thought we would just kind of compare and contrast. So uh, I'll start things off, Stephen, with my all sec quarterback. You let me know if I'm right or wrong and who you got, but I'm going hand and hooker. I, I know he got hurt. I know they didn't finish like a one or two against South Carolina, but led the SEC in passing efficiency, total offense, completion percentage, yards per attempt, 27 to two touchdown to interception ratio. I get it. Bryce Young, he's incredible. He should probably be the number one overall pick. Anybody that says Bryce Young, I wouldn't even argue. He's that outstanding. But I just think Hannon Hooker elevated the Vols to obviously beating Alabama. So give me Hendon Hooker as my all-SEC quarterback. Who would you take, Stephen? Coin flip uh, <laughs> between the two guys that you mentioned there. You know, I, I think the, the argument is is exactly what you outlined there. For me, it's, you know, statistically, these two quarterbacks have been so dominant all this year. Hendon Hooker, the value to, the, to what he's been for Tennessee, not only last year, but this year, and we mentioned it earlier, just getting to number one in the college football playoff and having a chance to be that number four team in the playoff uh, before the loss to South Carolina. The argument for me for Bryce Young is pretty simple. I think if you put every quarterback in a room and you said you have to pick one to win a game tomorrow, he would be my pick. Uh, after going back and forth on it, though, I settled, settled on Hendon Hooker uh, for Tennessee as my first team with Bryce Young at second. Uh, but I don't, I don't think you can go wrong with either one of them. Right. And I don't know if you saw this, Stephen, but I believe it was Matt Hinton uh, tweeted this out on Monday. But uh, every time Bryce Young took the field in the fourth quarter down with an opportunity to tie or win the ball game, Alabama scored, or at least he put them in position to score. So, I mean, that speaks to his clutch factor as well. So, certainly no, no wrong answer there. How about running back, Stephen? I went – Quinshaw Junkins, of course, led the SEC in rushing as a true freshman. I mean, just came out of nowhere. I thought it was going to be the Zach Evans show. And Zach Evans still had a, a solid season, but uh, not quite as good as, as Judkins. And I also got Rocket Sanders from Arkansas, just a, an incredible, incredible player. Uh, do you have any disagreements with those two running backs? No disagreement at all. I actually thought this was one of the easier calls on this team. I think Rocket Sanders and Judkins were slam dunk picks for first team honors. Um, I'll throw out my second team guys here. And, you know, I, I think this sort of illustrates the gap is that I think you can make an argument for Ray Davis at Vanderbilt, Chris Rodriguez at Kentucky, Tank Bigsby at Auburn, maybe another player or two, uh, you know, there's some running backs I've got in the all-purpose all spot that sort of, uh, you know, kind of change the the calculus of those decisions once you throw all-purpose in there. But I think to your point, Judkins and Sanders, statistically easy picks for me at, at all first-team All-SEC. You know, I'm glad you mentioned all-purpose, Stevie, because I can hear him clicking away at College Station. What the hell? Devon Ochain, first-team all-purpose running back for me. Just incredible. You got to remember A&M. Obviously, issues all season long with with offensive line, with quarterback play. Yet Devon Achain, time and time and time again, showed up, put the team on his back against LSU in that big upset. So Devon Achain, he deserves my all-purpose running back spot. Uh, thoughts on that? 
agree with you. Yeah, led the SEC in all-purpose yards, and not, not to mention that game against LSU just sort of illustrated his value to the team. I mean, just the difference in from week to week to that game and carrying Texas A&M uh, to a victory over LSU is, is, is more than enough for him to solidify first place all-purpose on, on my ballot. I think Jameer Gibbs deserves consideration, too. I think he's a step behind uh, A-Chain there, so I think – Easy pick. I, I think I'll go with A-Chain from A&M, first team all-purpose. Now at res- receiver, uh, Stephen, I don't think any of these lists are legitimate. If they don't got Jalen Hyatt there, led the SEC in re- receiving yards, led them in catches, led them in touchdowns, five touchdowns against Alabama, a school record. He played the best when the, when the light was brightest. Would you have him as your, your number one receiver in the SEC? Easily. Yeah, I, I vote on the Bolitnikoff Award. I hope I can give this vote out, but I, I voted Jalen Hyatt as the winner uh, of the Bolitnikoff. It was, you know, it was a tough vote between he and Marvin Harrison Jr. of Ohio State, but Hyatt showed up in one of the biggest spots of the year against Alabama. The only receiver, the only qualified receiver uh, to average over 100 yards a game in the SEC this year. The other spots, I think you could. Come up with a couple different names, but I think Hyatt is one of the guys that you can just easily go ahead and put in uh, your first team all SEC ballot. Yeah, I'm curious to see who your others are, Stephen. I got I got two more here, but you know these players were outstanding. But but like you said, I mean, I you could put a number of players here. I put Juice Wells just because he stepped up and played so well down the stretch against Tennessee and Clemson. He also had a huge game against Arkansas. If memory serves, so I think he made a, a difference for the Gamecocks. And I also got Dominique Lovett from Missouri, who he was all season long was was among the, the leaders in receiving yards. And that was with, I'm trying to be kind here, but inconsistent quarterback play. So you just got to imagine the numbers Dominique Lovett would put up if he was paired with, with say, a, a Bryce Young or a Hendon Hooker. So Dominique Lovett, Juice Wells for me. Uh, do you have anyone else on that list? I don't. I hate to be boring and agree with you on like on your picks, but I've got Juice Wells and Dominic Lovett as my first uh, two all first all team SEC uh, outside of Jalen Hyatt. I think any name after that, there are a couple you could consider maybe on first team, but I think once you look at the numbers and the and the impact and the situations, like you mentioned, uh, um, Lovett's numbers are really good for a team that was inconsistent throwing the ball this year. And like you said, Wells really stepped up down the stretch, you know, Clemson and Tennessee. So once I think earlier in November, maybe some of these names would have changed a little bit, but those performances for Wells, I think solidified first team all SEC for me. Yeah. And much like Jalen Hyatt, if you got anybody at other than Brock Bowers at tight end, your list probably is uh, irrelevant here. And, and sadly for the rest of the SEC, I, I think you can make the case the, Second best tight end is Darnell Washington. So who do you got? You got Brock Bowers as well? Yes. I, I would expect <laughs> if, if I didn't have Brock Bowers as first team all SEC, you should immediately close out our chat and never invite me back on your show again. It should be one of the easiest picks at tight end for all SEC and all America honors. He's the best tight end in college football. Now for offensive line, Steve, I'll be completely honest. I'm not qualified to be naming these guys. Because, hell, I'm not looking at the tape and all this, but what I did rely on is SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. So I went Osiris Torrance from Florida. He he won Offensive Lineman of the Week twice. Jerome Carvin, Tennessee, he won it twice. Ricky Stromberg, Arkansas, again, twice. 
LaQuinton Sharp, Mississippi State, won it twice, and Nick Broker from Ole Miss. All those guys won SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week at least twice. So, hey, I look at the Mississippi State, Arkansas, Tennessee, Florida, Ole Miss. I mean, we're talking some of the best rushing attacks in the SEC. Any any uh, other linemen you want to give consideration? Yeah, I think there are a couple. Um, I think the way you did it is is probably the best way. That there, I looked at some advanced metrics on uh, Pro Football Focus and and looked at some of the top linemen. I think Broderick Jones of Georgia graded out as one of the SEC's best offensive linemen. But not only grades, I think you just the physical talent, the upside, everything is there that you want in a tackle. And and we've seen I think his impact this year. So I had him first team All SEC. I also went with Darnell Wright from Tennessee. I, you know, I'm not necessarily when you vote in these, it's not about team. It's more about the individual, but I also thought, you know, Tennessee just faced the the passing offense, the protection they gave Hendon hooker. It just felt like somebody from Tennessee's offensive line needed to be somewhere on there. Also, I think Wright's pretty talented. I mean, you know, I know he maybe hasn't had the best start to his career, but you look at his trajectory at this point, I think he's certainly trending up. Also, I had Bo Limmer uh, of Arkansas. I think you could have went with Wagner. You could have went with Limmer uh, for, for Arkansas. But I think Stromberg and Torrance should be no doubt about it, first-teamers uh, for for those two, for, for the SEC all-conference team. And, and I think also Torrance and, and Stromberg both should make All-America teams this year too. Yeah, and to your point, Stephen, Darnell Wright against uh, Will Anderson, Alabama. That was probably the best game he ever played. And if not for him, you know, we all look at Jalen Hyatt, incredible game. Hendon Hooker, incredible game. Many of those offensive players. But it wouldn't have happened if not for uh, for Darnell Wright uh, clearing the way, so to speak, so that that monster we're about to get to couldn't get to Hendon Hooker. You know what? I, I think that's a great point because, you know, we, we talked all – you know, leading up to that game, like how could how could Tennessee protect Hendon Hooker? How are they going to keep Will Anderson away? And when you watch the game live and you went back and watched it on replay, you saw Dar- Darnell Wright more than holding his own in a pretty clutch spot. So I know we don't we don't give like awards for the entire season based upon one performance, but I don't think it's just that. Like I think he's made significant strides in his development over the last two years since Hypo and that staff came there. Now, there's also some outstanding kickers in the SEC, Stephen, but I went with Jack Pudlesny from uh, Georgia. I mean, he, he missed in the SEC championship game. That that felt like the first miss I'd seen from him all year. Uh, he, he was just money. I believe he led the SEC in scoring this year. Uh, any other kicker you'd put over him? I don't think so. I think you could consider Reichard. I'm also sort of partial to the thicker kicker. Uh, we've <laughs> got to get him. We've got to get a mention for the thicker kicker on there. But I, I went with Pudlesny as well. All right, how about the defense, Stephen? I, you know, defensive line again. This is a tough position to grade because you know you can't just go off stats or anything. But I went with t- uh, Tennessee lineman Byron Young. He won SEC defensive lineman of the week three times. I didn't realize that, so I was I was looking up the numbers. Five sacks was equally strong against the the pass and the run this season. Tennessee's defensive line really overachieved. Jalen Carter, you got to put him on there. He's a beast. Derek Hall from Auburn. I love that guy. I think he's been one of the best players on Auburn's roster for two years now. And then the last, maybe someone not a lot of people would have on here, but Isaiah McGuire from Missouri. I thought he was critical to their defensive turnaround uh, there in Columbia. Are there any defensive linemen that, that you put on that list that I didn't mention? 
I've got three of the four that you do. I think Carter, no doubt about it, was a no-brainer for me. McGuire, I think, you know, to to our earlier discussion, I don't think it's necessarily a team award, but I do think you look at how much progress Missouri made on defense this year. It felt like somebody from Missouri needs to be first or second team, maybe at a couple different spots. So I had Carter, McGuire, Derek Hall, also I think probably very underrated. Um, the four spot is interesting because I, I put Ojolari from LSU in there just because I think the talent, the disruptive factor, I, I could go with a couple of different guys, though. You mentioned Byron Young. I think you could mention the other Byron Young uh, at Alabama, too. So no disagreement there from, from me. I think you, you your four is just as good as the putting Ojolari in there as the, the fourth defensive line spot. Now, the SEC is loaded with some great linebackers as well. I, I got Drew Sanders there. Just He was a revelation for Arkansas, 10 sacks. Tied for the lead in the in the league with Will Anderson. Got to put him on the list. Also with 10 sacks. Harold Perkins kind of came out of, well, not nowhere, but obviously a true freshman, just such a disruptive more force. And uh, Jason Dumas-Johnson from Georgia. Any uh, debate with those linebackers? Anyone else you want to put on that list? That's exactly the four that I have. I, I was worried because I, I had to bend the rules a little bit because I felt like there were four really good linebackers that deserve to be on there. You can't leave off Will Anderson. You can't leave off Drew Sanders. And of course, Harold Perkins, I think is already one of the best linebackers in college football. So those four, that's a pretty strong, uh, you know, tree, uh, you know, four foursome of linebackers in the sec. I, I do think, you know, I know he missed chunk of the year, but Nolan Smith at Georgia would be a guy I will give some second team consideration for. Nathaniel Watson at Mississippi State's another name. I think had a really nice season, probably underrated, but it's hard to get past those top four names on the list. That's 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 pretty strong. <laughs> yeah, and, and then all in this the corner position secondaries. I put Emmanuel Forbes, Mississippi State, six interceptions, got the SEC all time lead for pick six. I know this isn't a career award, but I mean he was just a monster for the Bulldogs. And then a little wild card here, Steve. You you mentioned Missouri. I don't think Missouri would been near as good if they didn't have some outstanding cover corners there. And Chris Abrams' dream is is someone you could mention, but I put Enos Rakestraw. I gave I gave him the nod. Number two in the SEC and passes defended, an interception, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery. He was all over the field for Missouri's defense. Uh, any problems with Forbes or, or Rakestraw? Not at all. I, I had Forbes. I, I couldn't decide between McKinstry and Ringo for that second spot. I think if you look at some of the advanced metrics this year, McKinstry graded out higher than Ringo. But I, I think that was the the debate for me was where to fit on someone like Abrams Drain. Um, you've got you could maybe throw him in there. Nickel as kind of a, a secondary spot. But I think Ringo, McKinstry, Forbes, you know, to your point, some of the other guys, it's a pretty strong group at, at cornerback this year in the SEC. I think Forbes is, is a no doubt about it. You can debate the other ones a little bit. And, and for a nickel, so I cheated a little. <laughs> we love to cheat because we don't want to leave anyone off here. I put Antonio Johnson from Texas A&M. I realized they didn't have as great a year as they wanted, but he's he's been outstanding his entire career down there. I've got him too. I, I think to your point, just outstanding all around uh, season. You know, I was trying to bend the rules a little bit on on nickel and trying to get some guys on there from safety and corner. 
you know, uh, Kedron Smith from Kentucky, I thought had a really nice season. If you wanted to look at somebody for a second team spot, considering how loaded uh, the first team spot, Abram Strain at uh, at Missouri also, I think very underrated within the conference and nationally in terms of just overall performance, but also in some of the advanced metrics and how good of a season he had this year. Now for safety, got to go. I'm going with two Bulldogs here, Steve Christopher Smith, Malachi Starks. I mean, just, I mean, it's wild that they got one of the most veteran guys in, in the SEC making plays like he did with the punt return for, against LSU in the SEC championship. And it, and it was bookend by Starks making the incredible interception against Oregon. I mean, he just emerged from day one to be one of the, the best defensive backs in the country. Any issues with Smith and Starks on this list? Not at all. I think you could also choose between one of the Alabama safeties, Branch or Jordan Battle. I think it's it's kind of odd to see the, the, the same teams dominate both spots. Those are probably your top four or five safeties in the league. I guess we need to figure out which Georgia defensive back is going to have the huge performance in the game against Ohio State because, like you mentioned, uh, you know Atlanta's been good to Starks and Smith this year. I think Smith was was a no-brainer for me. I think the question was, do you have Starks or do you have one of the guys from Alabama? But I went with Starks for that second spot in first team. Now for punter, Stephen, I went with Kai Kroger, South Carolina. Maybe a little biased because he's because he throws touchdowns, because he throws for first downs. He'll even run it if you need him to. He does it all, but uh, he, he's a heck of a punter on top of all that other stuff, isn't he? I, I agree with you. He was an easy pick uh, for first team punter for me. I think you you know you mentioned the 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 pass, but also just the value of South Carolina's special teams this year. Again, it's not a team award, but. I mean, this South Carolina, the special teams were so important this year in several games for them. And, of course, he was great at punting and average and, and all that stuff. So easy pick for me, first team uh, punter. Now, for a kick and punt returner, same team, Mississippi State for me. Tulu Griffin, kick returner, led the SEC in return yardage by over 100 yards. He scored a touchdown on kick return. And there's Zion Thomas, punt return for Mississippi State. He had, he had a touchdown there. Number two in the SEC in punt return yardage. Any uh, Anyone you want to add to that? I've got the same first team kick returner as you. I went with Kool-Aid McKinstry. You know, I know he didn't have a touchdown, but he led the SEC among qualified leaders in punt return yards av- average. The other name at punt returner, I'm, I'll throw this out there. I just had to get him on there, and that's Luther Burden. I just think he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands that, you know, if we could just create a spot for most talented player in the SEC who needs to get the ball more, it would be Luther Burden. So I have Luther Burden, second team, all SEC, but no, no disagreement with, uh, with your pick. I hate to be, hate to be boring. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to see in the comments who, who we left off, how, who we disrespected. There's going to be a list of 50 guys here that should have made the list, but this, in my opinion, is the best of the best this year. If you have any complaints about the list, you can send them to at SEC Mike on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) In all seriousness, this this is really hard to do. And I can tell you from doing the All-SEC team and doing the All-America team, you don't realize how many good players don't make the All-SEC team. But on the other side of it is, how many guys who are on the All-SEC team are often, like they may be, on the fringe of making the All-America team, but might be like second or third team All-SEC. This is really hard to put together every season. It's even harder in the preseason. There's just so much talent at every spot. So 
I know I sound like a broken record, but this is a really difficult and very fun exercise. Well, and speaking of that, Stephen, what's also hard to put together is all this portal news. I mean, we've just been getting slammed with it all day long. I've got a running list over at uh, thatsecpodcast.com. I'm trying to keep up to date the moment someone goes into the portal from the SEC, trying to keep a running tally of that. And I might as well quit my day job because it's, that's taking up all my time today. So I had to ask you about that, Stephen. Portal transfers, uh, you know, teams that you think lost significant pieces today that, that could really affect them. And maybe, you know, what everybody likes, likes everybody that enters the portal, Stephen, somebody says, hey, are we going to go get them? Are we going to go get them? But the, the one, not that there's not impact players in there, but the ones that can really potentially change your program are, of course, the quarterbacks. So I wanted to ask you, Stephen, is uh, quarterbacks that have entered the portal – that you could see as potential fits in the SEC. Let's start there. Uh, any names at the top of your mind? Absolutely. I think NC State's Devin Leary is a name to watch. Uh, he was one of the the probably top 10 quarterbacks in college football coming into the season. He threw 35 touchdown passes last year at NC State. He didn't have the greatest of seasons this year. He got hurt. Also, I don't think NC State's offense from a schematic and also receiver offensive line was really at full strength this year. So I, I think some of his numbers, you might look at his numbers and go, well, they weren't that great. I think there were some contributing factors there. I think he might be, if he's not the number one, he's got to be the number two or number three quarterback in the portal. There's been some you know, connection in the past to Eli Drinkowitz. There's maybe potential you know, for him to go to Notre Dame. So I suspect that he will be on the radar for a lot of teams looking for a starting quarterback. Yeah, uh, I'm not exaggerating, Stephen. I've heard from Tennessee fans, Florida fans, Missouri fans. Can we get this Devin Leary? And I'm just like, my God, he just put his name in there. Let, let's see who we got coming back, who we don't got coming back. Um, man, it, it's it's going to be fascinating to see, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, we're up to about 70 or so quarterbacks in the portal. We may have some more uh, over the next couple of days. You know, something that I've noticed, and I'm speaking sort of off the cuff on this, I need to do the math on it. But, you know, I'm looking down the list of names that have declared and guys like Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State, uh, Brennan Armstrong at Virginia, Hudson Card at Texas, DJ Uyangalale at Clemson. Those guys are all you know starters except for Hudson Card, and they're looking for starting jobs. And I'm looking around at some of the you know potential starters next year on college football, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, how, where's the where's the open spots right now for these guys to go? And and you start to come back to programs like Missouri. What happens with uh, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina? So I think there's a lot of intrigue in the in the portal for quarterbacks. I mean, we had over half of college football started a transfer at quarterback last year. So the names we have now in the portal are probably only going to get bigger over the next couple of weeks. Well, let me ask you this, Stephen, this, because this is kind of like the hot rumor. I got no idea if this guy's even going to get in the portal. Uh, I, I've not really watched him play much because he's in the ACC, but the, the hot rumor is Drake May, North Carolina quarterback. And again, I got no idea. Maybe, maybe you have a better idea, but let's just – say he gets into the portal, Stephen, how many 
SEC teams would upgrade their starting quarterback uh, with Drake. Would Drake maybe an upgrade from their starting quarterback, so to speak? And and so we're not counting guys that uh, that will be in the NFL next year. I'm talking just for next season. Is it is it damn near every one of them? <laughs> I, I, I was doing the math in my head as you were talking, and I was trying to think, okay, who's first team all SEC next year? KJ Jefferson, maybe. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to I'm unless there's a transfer, Will Rogers, KJ Jefferson has yeah. to be you know Jaden Daniels, maybe. Jaden Daniels, that's a good one. Yeah. So not exaggerating, all 14 teams, like Drake May will probably be a top 10 NFL pick in the 2024 NFL draft. I I, I will say from everything that you've read on Drake May is that he will be back at North Carolina next year. He has some family ties to the school, but I can assure you one thing, if he decides to enter the transfer portal, his phone might explode from how many coaches <laughs> will be blowing it up right after, because he is that good. Uh, he, he didn't have a great performance against Clemson, in the ACC championship game, but I'm not really worried about that. He's a, he's, he's on my short list to be a preseason all American next year. Now it's probably this may be hard to answer, Stephen, because we don't know who Mark Stoops is going to hire as an offensive coordinator. But of the quarterbacks that are in the portal, um, any of them that you could think fit in best with Kentucky, just knowing what we want, what what they want to do with Kentucky, they want to run the ball, they want to pound it, uh, and then they've got some talented receivers there. Is there a quarterback that is actually in the portal that you think? Uh, would would fit with Mark Stoops' program? I would start with Devin Leary for sure. I think if I'm Kentucky, I would put the full court press on and try to go get him. I think not only could he be sort of a, a stabilizer until your your younger quarterbacks are ready, uh, he could be preseason all SEC next year, depending on how some of these other you know quarterback situations shake out. Not only that, I, I think Kentucky should make a run at Hudson Card. I, I think he's been sm- he's pretty smart, pretty efficient quarterback at Texas. He can move around a little bit. Got some experience. I think he started about five games there at Texas. Really just beat out by more talented players and, and Quinn Ewers. And with Arch Manning coming in, there's really not a spot on the depth chart. So I think either one of those guys will be at the top of my list. Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State is really interesting to me. Um, When the good Spencer Sanders shows up, he's first team all Big 12. When the other Spencer Sanders shows up and he's been hurt and he's had some problems with turnovers, it's it's not the same. Uh, So I would say like he's an, an intriguing one for me because the right coaching staff might be able to get more out of him if they can give him a good offensive line and keep the weapons around him healthy, which they couldn't do at Oklahoma State this year. And speaking of quarterbacks, Stephen Anthony Richardson announced earlier today he is off to the NFL. He's not playing in their bowl game. Thoughts on on Richardson leaving, and does that make Florida the team that more than any other probably has to nail a transfer quarterback? Because I know they got Jack Miller. They they like him. He's never done anything. I, I believe they got some young quarterbacks that they like. But, heck, they're down to their – they lost two quarterbacks. And, and if you just look ahead to – Billy Napier lost essentially every game that uh, those fans really care about this season aside from Utah. And next season, they only got three SEC home games. They got a trip to Utah. I mean, this is a brutal gauntlet here. 
these fans are not going to take another six and six fair or not fair. But uh, do you think Florida moves to that top of the list where they they've got to add a, a quality quarterback here? No question. I think it's not only the quarterback position, but when you see the attrition on the roster and, and some of that is guys who weren't going to play a lot, but you're talking about depth and how quickly can you turn over this roster? It's a little bit easier now because you don't, you're not held by the 25 man cap. You know, you can bring in as many guys as you need up until that 85 man cap this year. So in some ways it's good for coaches trying to turn over the entire roster in one or two off seasons, but on, on Florida specifically, you know, we started the day with the portal opening. Florida would have been at the bottom of the list of teams that needed a quarterback. But then when once Richardson declared, I think they shot to the top of the list. I, I think immediately, you know, I posted a list of teams that could go after Devin Leary. And F- Florida at first wasn't on the list because Richardson hadn't declared at that point. If you asked me to go back and do that, I would put Florida in for pretty much every quarterback at this point. I don't think it's any secret who the future is at Florida, but I do think you need a quarterback or two, whether that's guys who can just be depth or guys who can push for the starting job until your freshman is ready next season. So I think Florida pretty urgently needs to identify a quarterback or two in the portal. Yeah. And to your point, Stephen, I mean, this stuff changes on a dime. (laughs) We don't know what Spencer Rattler is going to do. So, I mean, South Carolina suddenly could, could jump up that list. Uh, who, who Bryce Young, we don't know. One of their backups may transfer. Not that I've heard anything, but if that happens, then all of a sudden they're they're pushing for a quarterback. But let me ask you this, because I, I got asked this, and and this is one that uh, a lot of Tennessee fans are are you know pondering right now. They they've got a five star coming in. He'll be a true freshman. They got Joe Milton poised to potentially be their starter, but Tennessee just won ten games, could win eleven. Is the bowl game is is it gonna is is there a player that it means more to than Joe Milton to have a big showing in the SEC because man if he's awful I know Clemson's a good defense so so maybe it's not fair but man can you can you ride with Joe Milton do you think to be your starting quarterback if your aspirations are to beat Georgia and and win the SEC East because these fans they may they're loyal to the player till they start losing. <laughs> And then they got to get him out of there. So um, is there a, a player that uh, maybe has more pressure on him to, to perform than Joe Milton in the in the bowl games? Which, looking aside, obviously, Georgia in the national championship. So different kind of pressure. But uh, do you see where I'm going with that? Absolutely. I think it's, it's a chance against Clemson to prove yourself against a top flight defense. Now, Clemson could be missing some guys to the NFL. They may go ahead and declare and move on. But still, this is a, a this is one of the, the better defenses in college football. So if Joe Milton comes out, has a huge performance, leads Tennessee to a win, I think you feel better if you're Tennessee. I also think if you're Tennessee, you know what Joe Milton is at this point. I think he's an extremely talented quarterback who has some – accuracy and some, you know, the questionable ability to put some touch on passes when they're needed. Um, But I think if nothing else, you go into next season, if you don't get a quarterback out of the portal, knowing you got a guy who's started at two power five high level programs in Michigan and Tennessee, and he knows your system well, and you also have the future 
who can be ready to start maybe at some point next season. Tennessee's going to have to restock at receiver, uh, I would assume, especially with some of the departures that could be coming there. So I think early on, having a veteran who knows your system could be good with the other pieces in transition around him. So to your point, I think this is a very important game for Joe Milton. Bowl games don't often mean much, but I think in specific cases like this, I think it definitely does. Now, how about uh, players from the SEC that have jumped in the portal? I understand that they can return to school. Just because you're in the portal doesn't mean you're, you're not coming back, but let's just assume everybody that has entered the portal will not come back. Who, who are maybe a handful of uh, the, the biggest losses that uh, teams suffered as day one of the portal arose here on Monday? I think Ray Davis of Vanderbilt it was was a little surprising because I think he would have been the focal point of that offense again next year for for Vanderbilt. And also, I think you know Javion Cohen from Alabama, a guy who's been a starter for you know over two years, played over a thousand snaps. I I know Alabama's had some in- inconsistency along the offensive line, but when you talk about there's a shortage of really you know good offensive linemen in, in the portal. So just losing someone who has starting experience, I think, is a big deal. I think you'll see a lot of teams, regardless of of what Cohen's performance has been, you know, some of the advanced metrics thought he had a pretty good year. Anytime you lose a a power five starting offensive lineman, I think that's a setback considering they're hard to replace. Also, I think just A&M, just the sheer amount of players that they lost, I'm curious to see if that continues. Um, and also is AM active in the portal at bringing guys in? You know, it seems like they, they're probably going to have to be this year. Dominic Lovett at Missouri, not necessarily a surprise, maybe going for more opportunities somewhere else. But I, I do think that is a big loss for Missouri. You know, if you could pair Luther Burden and Lovett with maybe Devin Leary at quarterback next year, now you're really working with something if you're Missouri. I think something you said there was key, which is, these guys could come back to school. Um, you know, you, you just have to be in the portal from now until you know January 18th, I think it is, and then you can remove your name. So I think there's a chance that some of these guys around the country just come back. They're just in, declaring their intentions. But you know, if you ask me who who I think the biggest losses are, I think it's Cohen, Lovett, and and A and M's just the sheer amount of players that they lost. Yeah, and I got a little insight, Stephen, from uh, Ray Davis. At least this is what I heard. He didn't even want to leave. I mean, this this is how screwed up Vanderbilt is. I mean, we we gotta get we gotta get our ducks in a row here. Yeah, apparently he had some issues getting into grad school, and it kind of forced his hand to where he had to leave if he wanted to stay in school. So you're telling me, Stephen, if not that this would happen, but if Bryce Young, <laughs> if he could come back based on need to get into grad school, how quickly would you think Nick Saban would get that done? I mean, it'd be in a damn nanosecond. And I'm not – that doesn't – we shouldn't compare Ray Davis to Bryce Young, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, get your shit in order here, Vanderbilt. This is – again, like you said, this is going to be – he would have been a focal point of your team last – this next season, and he couldn't get him into grad school for whatever reason. How, how many – yeah, I mean, how many how many players did we talk about on the all-SEC team for Vanderbilt? Like Davis, you know, you could maybe throw out Will Shepard. You could throw out C.J. Taylor. There are a couple others. Orgy. I mean, he's – yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like three or four guys that could be all SEC guys this year for Vanderbilt. And, yes, I think running backs are generally pretty easy to to replace and find. But if you have a guy who's, you know, potentially a 1,000-yard rusher 
you know, year over year, I think I'm finding ways to keep him. And I can guarantee you that if that was Bryce Young, Nick Saban is running down to the office wherever he's got to go the second he finds that out and will make sure that does not happen. All right, so Stephen, I wanted to ask you, of course, about uh, the SEC bowl games, kind of which ones you're most looking forward to. But before we get into that real quick, thoughts on um, the, you know, the four we got in the college football playoff, Alabama, Alabama, whoops, <laughs> Georgia. Just, just used to it, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Georgia versus Ohio State, TCU versus Michigan. Thoughts on that four? Do you think the committee got it right with that four? I think they did. I, I think you could argue Alabama's more talented than TCU. They'd be favored, I, apparently. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> despite Nick Saban's best effort to run for governor of uh, of Alabama this weekend and all the TV uh, interviews, they lost twice. Um, you know, they were also very close to losing to AM. They were not as traditionally dominant as we've seen this year. So I'm okay with leaving them out. I think they got the right four. You know, I think Alabama would probably beat a couple of those teams in the playoff, but you actually have to. I, I almost hate to say this, but it's almost like you have to honor what happened on the field this year. They lost twice. TCU lost once in a conference championship game. So no complaints here. I think they got it right. Well, and of course, uh, what's official, Stephen, here in 2024, we'll be going to the 12-team format. We put this out on our Twitter feed. I'm, I'm sure other people have seen it. You've probably seen it. But uh, how the how the playoff would have looked this season if we went to 12, Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, and Utah would have got first-round buys as conference champions that ranked the highest. So that means we would get home playoff games. This is pretty wild. Alabama hosting Southern Cal. Who do you think would win that matchup? Alabama. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> USC's defense is not going to stop Bryce Young. <laughs> and then Tennessee would host Kansas State. What thoughts on that one? That's an interesting one. Um, I think Kansas State's pretty solid, but if you if you if you give me a healthy Hendon Hooker, I'm taking Tennessee. I, I will say. This also shows the flaw in the playoff, the 12-team playoff. There, there are many flaws with it. Conference champions, it, we should absolutely value them, but Clemson and Utah should not be given buys over teams that were better than them in the rankings. It should be just the best four teams. Sorry, had a little side no, break. No, that, that, no, that's smart. And also, I mean, Georgia and Michigan for dominating, they don't get a home game? What's up with that? That, that seems kind of bizarre as well, doesn't it? It, it does. Now, I, I will say that's the two things that I dislike the most about the playoff is the way the top four and conference championships and second round home games are currently set up. You know, it's going to be at a bowl site. The, the contract will just be for two years and then it has to be reset for 2026 and on. I think the the belief is you saw some wiggle room and potentially changing that down the road to where the second round would be held on home sites. I mean, what a novel concept, playing games at home sites <laughs> with home crowds and, and giving teams something to play for during the regular season. So that needs to change for, for me. I, I just think you have to give value. And I mean, playing in Tuscaloosa, Knoxville, I mean, that's that's the true kind of definition of college football is getting those games on campus. Right. And, and the other two matchups we'd potentially have, TCU hosting Tulane. Would you like TCU in that one? I like TCU, I think. And then Ohio State hosting Penn State. Rematch, uh-oh, can't have that. But you like Ohio State? 
Yeah, I'd take Ohio State over Penn State. Steven going chalk. What chalk. a, what a yeah. surprise. Not only is he boring and patient, <laughs> and he just <laughs> But yeah, we can sit here and talk hypotheticals all day, but I, you know, we don't have to break down all these games because there's so many, we don't even know who's playing. There's going to be opt-outs. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be on and on and on. But is there maybe aside from the playoff matchups, I know you're, you're dying to see, but is there maybe two or three SEC related bowl games that uh, kind of stand out to you that you're, that you're dying to watch? Absolutely. So let me give you the qualifier that I'm going to watch every second of every bowl game. <laughs> so when UAB and Miami of Ohio get the bowl season started off in the Bahamas, you can bet I'm going to be sitting and watching every second of that game. I'm a true college football <laughs> sicko. I think in terms of matchups, though, like Kansas and Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl has got potential to be, I think, one of the highest scoring bowl games this year. Kansas defensively is not very good. They have made significant progress under second-year coach Lance Leipold. And our, we know Arkansas has had trouble on, on defense all year as well. I, I just I love watching KJ Jefferson play. So if you give me one more chance this year to see him play a really bad defense, I'm gonna take it. Mississippi State and Illinois, it's strength versus strength. The Mississippi State, we know they love uh, Will Rogers in the past. Illinois stops the pass well. Some of those Big Ten uh, West offenses weren't so good, so I think we'll find out a little bit more about Illinois from a defensive uh, standpoint. And, uh, you know, hard to get past Tennessee and Clemson in the Orange Bowl, too. I think just from an intrigue standpoint, we mentioned Joe Milton playing against a really good Clemson defense. Clemson changed quarterbacks in the ACC championship game. So I think there's – it's – it's sort of not necessarily a precursor to 2023. It'll give us a, some some insight into both teams as we look ahead to next year. Yeah, and I, I did want to ask you one quick thing on that one, Stephen. I mean, it's this is kind of sad to even suggest, but is Clemson better after? I don't want to say dumping. That's too mean. But switching quarterbacks to the true freshman, uh, are, are they possibly better without the as with the true freshman under center? Yes, they should have made the change a long time ago. Um, it, Can we it, get him back for just this one game? <laughs> right. Yeah, let that DJ play the Orange Bowl as a send-off as he chooses his next destination. Uh, no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, Kate Klubnick is an upgrade uh, for Clemson. And it should, should give DJ a little bit of a pass. Some of the receivers, their offensive line, frankly, has not been very good the last couple of years. Klubnick just gives them a little bit different dimension. He can move around a little bit more. He's given him a spark too when you've watched Clemson this year. So I think if you're Tennessee, you probably wish the other quarterback was was playing on uh, in the Orange Bowl. But yeah, you know, I should also say, I mean, Tennessee getting to the Orange Bowl is a really big deal. Like I I know oh, bowl yeah. games have been watered down a little bit, and some people don't pay attention to them. But I mean, Tennessee going to the Orange Bowl is a really big deal considering where this program was just two three years ago. Stephen, them making it to the Music City Bowl was insane a year ago so yeah you're dead on nationally broadcast you know all eyes on the orange bowl yeah th this is this is probably the biggest game i mean maybe you could say alabama and georgia but aside from those th this is gonna be the biggest game many of these tennessee balls have ever played in absolutely i mean and it's a great showcase for for hypo and the staff as as you try to piece together recruiting and everything uh, for next season. I mean, being able to showcase in a New Year's Six Bowl, um, you know, there's 
that's not and think it's the, actually the only bowl game on at that time. So you're getting the spotlight at a time when people are hungry for uh, for football. So all, all around, it's a win for Tennessee. It should be one of the more competitive bowl games of the season. A lot of intrigue, a lot of storylines. You did mention the Music City Bowl. On the other side, take the under. <laughs> because Isn't it like 34? It's Yeah, it's been hovering around uh, 32 or 34. Iowa, you know their offensive issues. They are probably going to be playing their third-string quarterback in this game. And, of course, we don't know uh, what Kentucky's situation will be. So opposite end of the spectrum, <laughs> high-scoring Kansas and Arkansas. On the other side, defensive battle between uh, Kentucky and Iowa. First to 10 wins. Yeah. It's, these two teams played last year, you know, in the, uh, the Citrus Bowl. It was, it was a great game, that 20 to 17 game where um, uh, it was a Wandell Robinson caught the pass late to, to help get the victory there. So, hey, yeah. last year's game was entertaining. So I'm, I'm holding out hope that this year's game is just as good. Well, Stephen, I can't thank you enough for all this time uh, uh, for going long here on this episode. Before you go, can you tell the folks where's the best place to find all your work? Absolutely. At Athlon Steven on Twitter, athlonsports.com uh, for articles. I have a ton of transfer content. So shameless plug. If you're looking for list of players, uh, you know, teams, quarterbacks, I've got it at athlonsports.com. You can also check out my YouTube page at all CFB365. All right. So just want to say thanks again, Steven, for joining the show as always. Always learn something from our chats with Stephen. I hope you do as well. But, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Got a really great guest lined up for the next episode. Should be a really fun conversation, a first-time guest that's going to hopefully bring some entertainment to the show. That's a little teaser. That's all I got on this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.